Chapter 17 of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains, by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Rumors of danger from the Sioux Tetons, ruthless character of those savages, pirates of the Missouri, their affair with Crooks and McClellan, a trading expedition broken up, McClellan's vow of vengeance, uneasiness in the camp, desertions, departure from the Omaha village, meeting with Jones and Carson, two adventurous trappers, scientific pursuits of Messrs. Bradbury and Nuttall, zeal of a botanist, adventure of Mr. Bradbury with a Ponca Indian, expedient of the pocket compass and microscope, a messenger from Lisa, motives for pressing forward. While Mr. Hunt and his party were sojourning at the village of the Omahas, three Sioux Indians of the Yankton Alma tribe arrived, bringing unpleasant intelligence. They reported that certain bands of the Sioux Tetons, who inhabited a region many leagues further up the Missouri, were near at hand, awaiting the approach of the party, with the avowed intention of opposing their progress. The Sioux Tetons were at that time a sort of pirates of the Missouri who considered the well-freighted bark of the American trader fair game. They had their own traffic with the British merchants of the Northwest, who brought them regular supplies of merchandise by way of the river St. Peter. Being thus independent of the Missouri traders for their supplies, they kept no terms with them, but plundered them whenever they had an opportunity. It has been insinuated that they were prompted to these outrages by the British merchants, who wished to keep off all rivals in the Indian trade. But others allege another motive, and one savoring of a deeper policy. The Sioux, by their intercourse with the British traders, had acquired the use of firearms, which had given them vast superiority over other tribes higher up the Missouri. They had made themselves also, in a manner, factors for the upper tribes, supplying them at second hand and at greatly advanced prices, with goods derived from the white men. The Sioux, therefore, saw with jealousy the American traders pushing their way up the Missouri, foreseeing that the upper tribes would thus be relieved from all dependence on them for supplies. Nay, what was worse, would be furnished with firearms and elevated into formidable rivals we have already alluded to a case in which mr crooks and mr mcclellan had been interrupted in a trading voyage by these ruffians of the river and as it is in some degree connected with the circumstances hereafter to be related we shall specify it more particularly about two years before the time of which we are treating crooks and mcclellan were ascending the river in boats with a party of about forty men bound on one of their trading expeditions to the upper tribes in one of the bends of the river where the channel made a deep curve under impending banks they suddenly heard yells and shouts above them and beheld the cliffs overhead covered with armed savages it was a band of sioux warriors upwards of six hundred strong they brandished their weapons in a menacing manner and ordered the boats to turn back and land lower down the river there was no disputing these commands for they had the power to shower destruction upon the white men without risk to themselves crooks and mcclellan therefore turned back with feigned alacrity and landing had an interview with the sioux the latter forbade them under pain of exterminating hostility from attempting to proceed up the river but offered to trade peacefully with them if they would halt where they were the party being principally composed of voyageurs was too weak to contend with so superior a force and one so easily augmented 
they pretended therefore to comply cheerfully with their arbitrary dictation and immediately proceeded to cut down trees and erect a trading-house the warrior band departed for their village which was about twenty miles distant to collect objects of traffic they left six or eight of their number however to keep watch upon the white men and scouts were continually passing to and fro with intelligence mr crook saw that it would be impossible to prosecute his voyage without the danger of having his boats plundered and a great part of his men massacred he determined however not to be entirely frustrated in the objects of his expedition while he continued therefore with great apparent earnestness and assiduity the construction of the trading-house he dispatched the hunters and trappers of his party in a canoe to make their way up the river to the original place of destination there to busy themselves in trapping and collecting peltries and to await his arrival at some future period as soon as the detachment had had sufficient time to ascend beyond the hostile country of the sioux mr crooks suddenly broke up his feigned trading establishment embarked his men and effects and after giving the astonished rear-guard of savages a galling and indignant message to take to their countrymen pushed down the river with all speed sparing neither oar nor paddle day nor night until fairly beyond the swoop of those river hawks what increased the irritation of messrs crooks and mcclellan at this mortifying check to their gainful enterprise was the information that a rival trader was at the bottom of it the sioux it is said having been instigated to this outrage by mr manuel lisa the leading partner and agent of the missouri fur company already mentioned this intelligence whether true or false so roused the fiery temper of mcclellan that he swore if ever he fell in with lisa in the indian country he would shoot him on the spot a mode of redress perfectly in unison with the character of the man and the code of honor prevalent beyond the frontier if crooks and mcclellan had been exasperated by the insolent conduct of the sioux tetons and the loss which it had occasioned those freebooters had been no less indignant at being outwitted by the white men and disappointed of their anticipated gains and it was apprehended that they would be particularly hostile against the present expedition when they should learn that these gentlemen were engaged in it all these causes of uneasiness were concealed as much as possible from the canadian voyageurs lest they should become intimidated it was impossible however to prevent the rumours brought by the indians from leaking out and they became subjects of gossiping and exaggeration the chief of the omahas too on returning from a hunting excursion reported that two men had been killed some distance above by a band of sioux this added to the fears that already began to be excited the voyagers pictured to themselves bands of fierce warriors stationed along each bank of the river by whom they would be exposed to be shot down in their boats or lurking hordes who would set on them at night and massacre them in their encampments some lost heart and proposed to return rather than fight their way and in a manner run the gauntlet through the country of these piratical marauders in fact three men deserted while at this village luckily their place was supplied by three others who happened to be there and who were prevailed on to join the expedition by promises of liberal pay and by being fitted out and equipped in complete style the irresolution and discontent visible among some of his people arising at times almost to mutiny and the occasional desertions which took place while thus among friendly tribes and within reach of the frontiers 
added greatly to the anxieties of mr hunt and rendered him eager to press forward and leave a hostile tract behind him so that it would be as perilous to return as to keep on and no one would dare to desert accordingly on the fifteenth of may he departed from the village of the omahas and set forward toward the country of the formidable sioux tetons for the first five days they had a fair and fresh breeze and the boats made good progress the wind then came ahead and the river beginning to rise and to increase in rapidity betokened the commencement of the annual flood caused by the melting of the snow on the rocky mountains and the vernal rains of the upper prairies as they were now entering a region where foes might be lying in wait on either bank it was determined in hunting for game to confine themselves principally to the islands which sometimes extend to a considerable length and are beautifully wooded affording abundant pasturage and shade on one of these they killed three buffaloes and two elks and halting on the edge of a beautiful prairie made a sumptuous hunter's repast they had not long resumed their boats and pulled along the river banks when they descried a canoe approaching navigated by two men whom to their surprise they ascertained to be white men they proved to be two of those strange and fearless wanderers of the wilderness the trappers their names were benjamin jones and alexander carson they had been for two years past hunting and trapping near the head of the missouri and were thus floating for thousands of miles in a cockle-shell down a turbulent stream through regions infested by savage tribes yet apparently as easy and unconcerned as if navigating securely in the midst of civilization the acquisition of two such hardy experienced and dauntless hunters was peculiarly desirable at the present moment they needed but little persuasion the wilderness is the home of the trapper like the sailor he cares but little to which point of the compass he steers and jones and carson readily abandoned their voyage to st louis and turned their faces towards the rocky mountains and the pacific the two naturalists mr bradbury and mr nuttall who had joined the expedition at st louis still accompanied it and pursued their researches on all occasions mr nuttall seems to have been exclusively devoted to his scientific pursuits he was a zealous botanist and all his enthusiasm was awakened at beholding a new world as it were opening upon him in the boundless prairies clad in the vernal and variegated robe of unknown flowers whenever the boats landed at meal-times or for any temporary purpose he would spring on shore and set out on a hunt for new specimens every plant or flower of a rare or unknown species was eagerly seized as a prize delighted with the treasures spreading themselves out before him he went groping and stumbling along among the wilderness of sweets forgetful of everything but his immediate pursuit and had often to be sought after when the boats were about to resume their course at such times he would be found far off in the prairies or up the course of some petty stream laden with plants of all kinds the canadian voyageurs who are a class of people that know nothing out of their immediate line and with constitutional levity make a jest of anything they cannot understand were extremely puzzled by this passion for collecting what they considered mere useless weeds when they saw the worthy botanist coming back heavy laden with his specimens and treasuring them up as carefully as a miser would his hoard they used to make merry among themselves at his expense regarding him as some whimsical kind of madman 
mr bradbury was less exclusive in his tastes and habits and combined the hunter and sportsman with the naturalist he took his rifle or his fowling-piece with him on his geological researches conformed to the hardy and rugged habits of the men around him and of course gained favour in their eyes he had a strong relish for incident and adventure was curious in observing savage manners and savage life and ready to join any hunting or other excursion even now that the expedition was proceeding through a dangerous neighbourhood he could not check his propensity to ramble having observed on the evening of the twenty second of may that the river ahead made a great bend which would take up the navigation of the following day he determined to profit by the circumstance on the morning of the twenty-third therefore instead of embarking he filled his shot-pouch with parched corn for provisions and set off to cross the neck on foot and meet the boats in the afternoon at the opposite side of the bend mr hunt felt uneasy at his venturing thus alone and reminded him that he was in an enemy's country but mr bradbury made light of the danger and started off cheerily upon his ramble his day was passed pleasantly in traversing a beautiful tract making botanical and geological researches and observing the habits of an extensive village of prairie dogs at which he made several ineffectual shots without considering the risk he ran of attracting the attention of any savages that might be lurking in the neighbourhood in fact he had totally forgotten the sioux tetons and all the other perils of the country when about the middle of the afternoon as he stood near the river bank and was looking out for the boat he suddenly felt a hand laid on his shoulder starting and turning round he beheld a naked savage with a bow bent and the arrow pointed at his breast in an instant his gun was levelled and his hand upon the lock the indian drew his bow still further but forbore to launch the shaft mr bradbury with admirable presence of mind reflected that the savage if hostile in his intents would have shot him without giving him a chance of defence he paused therefore and held out his hand the other took it in sign of friendship and demanded in the osage language whether he was a big knife or american he answered in the affirmative and inquired whether the other were a sioux to his great relief he found that he was a ponca by this time two other indians came running up and all three laid hold of mr bradbury and seemed disposed to compel him to go off with them among the hills he resisted and sitting down on a sand-hill contrived to amuse them with a pocket compass when the novelty of this was exhausted they again seized him but he now produced a small microscope this new wonder again fixed the attention of the savages who have more curiosity than it has been the custom to allow them while thus engaged one of them suddenly leaped up and gave a war-whoop the hand of the hardy naturalist was again on his gun and he was prepared to make battle when the indian pointed down the river and revealed the true cause of his yell it was the mast of one of the boats appearing above the low willows which bordered the stream mr bradbury felt infinitely relieved by the sight the indians on their part now showed signs of apprehension and were disposed to run away but he assured them of good treatment and something to drink if they would accompany him on board of the boats they lingered for a time but disappeared before the boats came to land on the following morning they appeared at camp accompanied by several of their tribe with them came also a white man who announced himself as a messenger bearing missives for mr hunt 
in fact he brought a letter from mr manuel lisa partner and agent of the missouri fur company as has already been mentioned this gentleman was going in search of mr henry and his party who had been dislodged from the forks of the missouri by the blackfeet indians and had shifted his post somewhere beyond the rocky mountains mr lisa had left st louis three weeks after mr hunt and having heard of the hostile intentions of the sioux had made the greatest exertions to overtake him that they might pass through the dangerous part of the river together he had twenty stout oarsmen in his service and they plied their oars so vigorously that he had reached the omaha village just four days after the departure of mr hunt from this place he dispatched the messenger in question trusting to his overtaking the barges as they toiled up against the stream and were delayed by the windings of the river the purport of his letter was to entreat mr hunt to wait until he could come up with him that they might unite their forces and be a protection to each other in their perilous course through the country of the sioux in fact as it was afterwards ascertained lisa was apprehensive that mr hunt would do him some ill office with the sioux band securing his own passage through their country by pretending that he with whom they were accustomed to trade was on his way to them with a plentiful supply of goods he feared too that crooks and mcclellan would take this opportunity to retort upon him the perfidy which they accused him of having used two years previously among these very sioux in this respect however he did them signal injustice there was no such thing as court design or treachery in their thought but mcclellan when he heard that lisa was on his way up the river renewed his open threat of shooting him the moment he met him on indian land the representations made by crooks and mcclellan of the treachery they had experienced or fancied on the part of lisa had great weight with mr hunt especially when he recollected the obstacles that had been thrown in his way by that gentleman at st louis he doubted therefore the fair dealing of lisa and feared that should they enter the sioux country together the latter might make use of his influence with that tribe as he had in the case of crooks and mcclellan and instigate them to oppose his progress up the river he sent back therefore an answer calculated to beguile lisa assuring him that he would wait for him at the ponca's village which was but a little distance in advance but no sooner had the messenger departed than he pushed forward with all diligence barely stopping at the village to procure a supply of dried buffalo meat and hastened to leave the other party as far behind as possible thinking there was less to be apprehended from the open hostility of indian foes than from the quiet strategy of an Indian trader. End of chapter 17